This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Tony Gia. As a child, Tony's parents moved from Beijing, China to North America, living first in Canada, then putting down roots in Fairfax County, Virginia. As those roots took hold, so did the idea of entrepreneurship take hold in Tony's mind. Combining his passion for building things and the business-minded spirit from his father, Tony's journey of self-exploration allowed him to build businesses that protect and celebrate Asian identity. Hello there, long time no talk. It's been about a month since I released my last episode, and in that month, I've done a lot of thinking and conceptualizing on the future of local color. Don't worry, the podcast is here to stay, but I want to shift and expand my focus on who I'm interviewing, why I'm interviewing them, and give more people the opportunity to tell their story. By the end of this year, I want the podcast to be one part of an ecosystem of content and commentary surrounding Baltimore and the DMV. I also want to build out an ecosystem and platform that has a better shot at monetization. I'll still be interviewing creatives and entrepreneurs in the area, and I also want to start interviewing politicians and contributing to the political scene in my own special way. I've had these thoughts and ideas for a while, and ultimately, I realized to get what I wanted, I had to start doing the work I was avoiding. The journey I'm on now is the same journey my guest Tony Gia embarked on as a young entrepreneur, but that comes later in his story. This journey is also the same one Tony's parents embarked on to give him and his younger sister a better life. Tony's story starts in Beijing, China, with Tony's parents wanting to move. I think our goal um, originally was to move to the U.S., but, uh, you know, at the time it was pretty hard to get over to the United States. So Vancouver was a bit of a, uh, a stopping point. One thing about the U.S. is that it has so many opportunities uh, and compared to, uh, you know, a less population dense place like Canada. And no offense to Canada, it's great. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the U.S. has a bigger economy than, than Canada overall. Uh, I see. And um, again, why, why the DMV? Why not like California or, or Texas? Actually, so when I, we, we did go around the U.S. a little bit before finding our home for our family. And I went to, you know, from Seattle to Texas to California. But eventually in the DMV, it just seemed like a balance. There's culture, there's a decent population, and there's four seasons here, which is very similar to Beijing, you know, where we moved from. If you look at the map, it's pretty much in the same location in terms of um, Beijing and, and Washington, D.C. When you talk about your family, do you do you have any siblings? Uh, are, or, or are you an only child? I have a I have a sister and she goes to school in in D.C. So uh, as we continue um, on in your childhood and just through basic research that uh, I did for the interview uh, in an article about you, you said that you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Was there a specific event that happened in your childhood or, or person that you knew growing up that sparked that passion? I think the idea of being an entrepreneur can be pretty loose. Um, I've always wanted or admired the idea of freedom, um, of you know owning something, building something specifically. And you know if there's any one person, I would say it's, it's my dad, uh, like many in his generation, he broke himself free from poverty by building a business. So 
you know, I've always had this idea as a kid to open a business someday, but, you know, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. Apologies if you had mentioned this before. Was that one of the reasons that your parents had wanted to leave China? They they just wanted like more, uh, I guess, freedom of opportunity or or the ability to just kind of determine their own path in life? I think for them, um, in their case, it's not. But I, it is a case for, for many people, many immigrants back in the day to move. Uh, for us, it's more for me to become a more global citizen. And because they've worked so hard, I was afforded the opportunity to to you know study abroad and move to the U.S. And it was a decision uh, they made for me at the time. Can you talk a bit about what school was like for you as a uh, as an immigrant coming over from China? We already discussed that you had moved in a few, rather lived in a few different places before you settled in the DMV. And you were saying, you know, there's a time when you were living in uh, North America because Canada is included in. North America with the United States. Yeah, just what was that experience like in, in school? Canada was more difficult because that's the first place I moved to that was, you know, English speaking. And it was quite different from home where, where I was born. And uh, moving to the U.S. wasn't so bad because I've learned the language. I'm able to make friends through school or through sports. Uh, when you were at school in the United States, did you find yourself just gravitating more towards uh, the school's Asian population if if the school had any at all? Like, how did you, how did you cope with, you know, maybe feeling like an outsider or even if you found that Asian population not feeling like you were like one of them because you weren't like Chinese American per se? Uh, great question. Where I grew up, I went to middle school in McLean, Virginia, which is part of uh, Fairfax County. Where I went to school, there wasn't a huge Asian population. If there were, uh, there were Asian Americans who were very assimilated in the culture, uh, in mainstream culture. And, and high school was the same for me. So growing up, I had a very diverse group of friends, you know, and and I felt very lucky to to have that. How were things once you got to high school? Did you feel at that point you were kind of more confident in yourself and 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 who you were as a person? Or do you feel like in high school you were still trying to figure things out or kind of figure new things out about yourself? So the downside of moving so much is that every time you move to a different city or go to a different school, you're starting fresh compared to, you know, some of the kids who went to elementary, middle school or high school together. There's always, there's already a social circle that they have. With every school I moved to, I had to readjust. So I say the first couple years, maybe first year or second year was always difficult. But as as the years go on, you you build these connections with your peers. And when you do, you slowly adjust to that social circle. So yeah, later on it was it was better, but in the beginning it was definitely a struggle. And now let's talk about college. Where did you go to college and what was that experience like for you? Well, college was uh, very different compared to, you know, your common high school struggles. I went to UMBC for a year and then I moved on to University of Maryland. And it's not you know, a couple thousand students in a high school, but it's a whole campus full of people. So in that sense, I think college opened my eyes to even a wider group of people and seeing what people are doing, different stories, different backgrounds. Overall, I say college was an eye-opening experience. What did you major in when you were in college? I know nowadays some college 
colleges even offer majors or courses in entrepreneurship, which I I feel like people are still kind of on the fence about because entrepreneurship is more like, like you said, the freedom to kind of do whatever you want and strike out on your own. So what did you major in while you were in college? Well, the funny thing is I, I actually minored in entrepreneurship and innovation. It's it's a business school program. Um, and you're absolutely right. I think um, in many ways that uh, entrepreneurship can't be taught. You have to learn by practicing. And I think the most valuable lessons I was able to learn was probably through my professors who have done projects. And when they share their experience, that's something helpful. And when you get hands-on, and sometimes the school offers you opportunities, um, you, you get hands-on opportunities, which are helpful towards you know, becoming an entrepreneur. But you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't think entrepreneurship is something that can be taught in the classroom. I think that would be very challenging to do that. Um, I majored, my major was in philosophy. Uh, I just kind of gravitated towards that major. I was lost. I didn't know what to major in took a couple classes and, you know, by, by, the, by the time I, I knew it, I was already half done with my philosophy curriculum. So I stuck with that. Yeah. Hmm. How did, how did your, uh, <laughs> how did your parents feel about you majoring in philosophy and minoring in entrepreneurship? Well, they weren't sure if I find a job in the beginning, uh, <laughs> but you know, my, my parents are, are um, open-minded. Uh, they are, uh, probably different from what you would consider a stereotypical, you know, Asian American parent who are very tough on their kids. They, they made jokes about it, but then in the end they supported me. Uh, college was a time for uh, a guy or a kid to find themselves and you had to do that by exploring. So they, you know, they let me explore and supported my decision. Now, looking back and when you think about um, your sister, do you feel like your parents are more strict with her or they're even less strict with uh, your sister in terms of college and, and life stuff? I felt like they were a little more strict on my sister um, <laughs> because, you know, I, I grew up, uh, uh, you know, a wild card and, you know, I was quite rebellious in many ways. Um, so I think they just kind of gave up on me at one point. Uh, my sister, on the other hand, she, um, she was a great, better student than I was. So I think that's, you know, one of the big reasons why. Yeah. I yeah. it's interesting that you say that because as we're talking, I'm just like he sounds very like reserved and and measured, and he's like choosing his words. But if you had a had a rebellious streak, I'm sure you were giving your parents a lot of grief. Yes, uh, it's quite different back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, I continue my conversation with Tony Gia. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Stay with us. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. And before the break, my guest Tony Gia talked about his parents being confused by but ultimately supporting his unorthodox college path. As we continue our conversation, Tony details his journey from office worker to entrepreneur. So let's talk about uh, life after college. You finished up at the um, University of Maryland. You got your degrees in uh, philosophy, minoring in entrepreneurship and innovation. Did you immediately start a business right out of school or did you kind of take a gap year or were you just working, you know, odd jobs like a lot of recent college grads? 
So, yeah, so I took a, you know, I think I took about six months off just to, you know, see what I want to do. I started off working odd jobs and then later on to an office job. One day I was sitting in the cubicles and I felt like maybe there's more I can do. Um, not saying office job isn't great. It's definitely a valuable experience that I've learned, you know, doing office work. Um, but then, you know, I felt like something was missing. I wanted to go out and create something. So knowing that it's also going to take a lot of trial and errors. So eventually, um, after the office jobs, I decided to start my own business. How did you, um, get the idea to start your company uh, and and was your first company parasol tree holdings or was it something was it something different yeah parasol tree holding was a later company so in the beginning i tried to start a, a bunch of smaller companies i worked different jobs um, mostly um, after well let me rephrase everything so so my first my first couple of jobs were, were in the office i worked for ngos and mostly ngos and from there, I jumped, I had a phase where I really got into content creating and video making. And from there, I had a, a partnership with a YouTube channel called Asian Boss. So when I was living in Asia right after college um, for the summer, just for the summer break, I did a lot of freelance work. And from there, I fell in love with the idea of making content. Um, and from there, I, I tried all sorts of startups and a couple of them didn't work out. The first real company we built was the art foundation where we donated and supported filmmakers who are less uh, fortunate. And we started a film festival here in, in Maryland in Montgomery County called Montgomery International Film Festival. From there, I built my entertainment company, event organizing company. Later on, when I realized there were so many companies and I couldn't do all of them, I decided to open Parasol Tree, which is a holdings company. Uh, and we figure out a way that we can, you know, hold on to smaller companies while we focus our on our main business, which is uh, real estate. So after college, you worked a few jobs, you worked in the N NGO space, uh, you started companies, some worked out, some didn't. And then eventually you just got the idea, why don't I just create a holding company, which is called parasol tree holdings can you give an overview of what the company does right so after trying a few startups i moved uh, into the real estate business and that's been my bread and butter um, ever since and parasol tree essentially is a holdings company and what a holdings company does is, is that it holds on to assets uh, whether if it's real real estate or you know patents intellectual properties or startups uh, or shares of a startup. So tying in everything I did, which is the creative side, and then the other side is real estate, which um, is not as exciting to me, but it's it's slower, uh, but it's also very important in, in in becoming you know the support of the company overall. So so uh, Parasol Tree, we hold on to real estate, but also a lot of these smaller startups that we we've, we've done. And uh, and some of some of the shares that I own in smaller companies, like our event organizing company, is all under this holding company. Uh, something that you mentioned before that I want to go back to: when you finished college, 
you said that you had spent some time in Asia. Did you go back to uh, Beijing or did you go to like a different part of China or just a whole different, a whole different country? I traveled around and uh, a lot of the work that we did in terms of video production happened in Beijing, uh, where I spent, you know, the summer after graduation there. And that's, you know, that's when I you know, fell in love with video making and film producing. Can you talk a little bit about the um, event planning company that uh, you also do work with, with um, Parasol Tree? Yes, um, there's actually two. And the first one is um, called A-Round Entertainment. Uh, and, and under A-Round, there's a couple of smaller brands. We started off, you know, organizing events and parties in the D.C. area, uh, mostly towards the Asian American community or friends of the Asian American community. Uh, it was EDM music. 99% uh, of the time is EDM, but we tried other genres. Um, Nowadays, uh, the company with the partners that I have, it's grown into uh, many cities like New York City, uh, Los Angeles, and they're hosting, you know, weekly events, uh, kind of like a hub uh, for, you know, young Asian American professionals. Uh, and we also host professional happy hours uh, here in D.C. Um, to, for, to facilitate net networking for the, for the Asian communities. Something that you just brought up, I, I have an additional question on. You started the company, uh, Parasol Tree Holdings, and you're kind of running it yourself in the beginning. How do you deal with more and more people like coming on to the company and kind of providing their input on something that at the end of the day is yours? Do you find yourself having to kind of like say, hey man, just you know, relax. Everybody wants the company to be as successful as I do. So like let these people kind of do their thing. Or do you still wish that even though a smaller company would be in like less revenue and less success, do you still some days wish that it was just you running everything? Well, the way uh, the way the holdings company work is that Parasol Tree is a company I established later on. Um, after trying to tie everything together. They're, the smaller companies um, on their own have their own teams and different partners. And this means that while well, holding company usually own the majority of the asset of, uh, of the company that it holds, sometimes you can just hold on to shares. So with, with some companies, um, I have other partners and with them, they run the company independently of the holdings company. Uh, what the holdings company does is that it owns the percentage of that smaller company. Oh, so, and maybe, and I was trying to think about this before. I was trying to find the words before and I couldn't. So it seems like the holding company, is it kind of like a venture capital firm, but you're not like giving out money? Is that like a similar comparison? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that for most holdings company, but in my case, I think uh, that could apply. Yeah. So, I mean, Although we don't invest in money and actively in a lot of these things, uh, aside from, you know, we've recently started to uh, invest and try to purchase um, smaller restaurants and invest in some of the bigger franchises. In the last eight to 10 years or so, I've noticed like a pretty big tonal shift in how stories of the Asian community are told and, and more news outlets like uh, Next Shark uh, are balancing like uplifting news and serious topics 
in and about the Asian community. And when you talk about serving on that board uh, for the Committee Against uh, Hate and Violence, it makes me think of that shift. What do you think contributed to this shift? And how does your work intersect with the idea of celebrating and protecting Asian identity? I think the, the, the big part of it is that a lot of Asian American populations and uh, they're growing and more and more often they find themselves speaking up and being more uh, active than they were before in previous years. Uh, the community as a whole has always had, you know, a lot of stereotypes, but I think people tend to forget that Asia is actually very big and diverse. Um, take China, for example, it has a lot of different ethnic groups and not, you know, just Chinese people. I think the the reason why there was... Um, the, there was such less, there was less representation of, of Asian American communities is that because the original immigrants came from a very specific region of Asia. They were building the railroads. More and more nowadays, you get immigrants from all, all different parts of Asia. And I think that's what costs, you know, media channels such as Next Shark and a couple other big ones to pop up and represent a more diverse Asia to the U.S. And, and, and beyond. On top of being a successful entrepreneur, you also serve on the Montgomery County Committee Against Hate and Violence. Uh, why did you think it was important to serve on this board? We do, we do business and, you know, we live in our communities. I think it's important that we give back. Uh, but I think the real reason for that is because, uh, you know, over, over the years of COVID and, you know, over the years, um, of living here, there's been a lack of Asian voices in, in our communities. So when I first found out about this position from, from the county and friends of the county, they told me that there is a need for an uh, Asian voice in this committee, which it didn't have at the time. So I decided to join. We have 14 voting members and we work closely with the police to track and, and, uh, track hate crimes and prevent them from happening. And when it does happen, our committee has the ability to release uh, county funds to support victims of hate crimes. Um, so that's what we do. And that's why I think it's important to do it. Do you feel like your age, because, you, you know, as you said before, you're 28 years old, and I can guess that a lot of people on the board are you know, a bit older than that. Do you feel like that your age gives you a unique and perhaps more like a realistic viewpoint of things that are going on in the community that older people might not be paying attention to? Definitely. Um, you know, it's especially because our peers, they are more active and they, you know, they, <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that. Uh, my, yeah, okay. So yes, uh, definitely. I think, uh, you know, being young, you, you know, you go out more often, you, you tend to see more things happening and um, having that knowledge and being surrounded by peers um, who can share information with you often is very important. So yes, I think it does give me a, a, a advantage. Yeah. Just about finished up my questions here. So these, these final two are ones that I always ask my guests. First up, what is coming up next for you? The next couple of months, I will actually be traveling. Um, I haven't been back in Asia in about four or five years. 
And I want to go there and see, you know, after our whole COVID um, deal and, you know, and, and see some old friends and family and also to see opportunities and change my perspectives. Um, I think uh, being here, uh, it's very easy to be very comfortable, especially here in, in, in Montgomery County. And I wanted to journey out and see things that are different. Uh, sometimes, you know, opportunities don't really come to you on a platter. You have to go out there and try to find them. Um, and I don't know exactly what's coming up, but I am looking forward to it. What do you think makes Baltimore and uh, the DMV such a special place that's that's worthy of national recognition? I think Baltimore and, and DMV makes up for the identity of this Washington region. It's, you know, geographically speaking, it's two big cities really close to each other, an hour away. Um, and with this, within this highway, it goes up to New York. And, and you know, I think there's a lot of potentials and there's a lot of big companies, corporations moving into this region. Uh, and and uh, with, with them realizing that D.C. is still the capital, it's important. And, you know, D.C. is really only that big. Um, and Maryland is a huge part of the DMV community identity. So I think I think the future for Baltimore and DMV is going to be huge. Tony Gia, thank you so much for the opportunity to interview you. Thank you, Jason. That was entrepreneur Tony Gia. Check him out on Instagram at Tony the Tiger with two R's. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Local Color. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jason V. The podcast is distributed by Your Public Studios. New episodes of Local Color will be released the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about Local Color at wypr.org.